Well, he was born into a Christian family. His mom was a very devout follower of Jesus and regularly took him to worship and taught him about Jesus and the things of God and how to live a life for God. But he was hard-headed and he decided to go his own way, rebelling against his mother's faith and the teachings of Jesus. He decided to pursue his own pleasures and philosophies and adventures in life. And he wound up in the city of Milan, a party city, and had a wonderful time experiencing everything that the world had to offer. But one day he found out that he was to be a father and that the life that he had been living of freedom was now something that was very constricting and serious and real and what seemed like would offer pleasure and freedom now came with many serious consequences in his life. It didn't feel so freeing anymore. You know, crisis changes us. When we come to different moments in our life of crisis, whatever that might be, it's an opportunity to turn to the story of God or continue in our own story. So our friend living in the city of Milan had heard about a preacher in the fourth century named Ambrose. Ambrose was a a towering bishop in the church during that time. And so our friend on his journey and his struggle between his own story that had crashed in on him and the story of God befriends this preacher and they begin to have a lot of conversations. And he was unable to shake the bishop's words and his heart was conflicted with the story of God, the truth that his mom had taught him growing up and the story of hedonism and pleasure that he had pursued and rebellion in his own story. In his own words, he said, I was experiencing, and maybe you are this morning, I was experiencing a burning struggle within, a struggle between two stories. I was twisting and turning in my chains, chains that I had put on myself with my own choices. And then suddenly I heard a voice from a nearby house, almost a a chanting, as if it were a child speaking just to me. And the voice repeated over and over and over again, pick up and read, pick up and read, pick up and read. And so I picked up and I read, and the Bible opened to the book of Romans. And as I read, it was as if a light of relief from all anxiety in my life flooded into my heart. And all the shadows of doubts throughout my years of rebellion were dispelled in a moment. This man was changed. His whole world changed. And he became one of the most influential voices in all of Christendom. He even was known as a a bishop and later on a saint. This is, of course, the story that you may not have heard, the story of St. Augustine, Bishop Augustine, a man that was a glorious, rebellious sinner living the story of the world to the fullest, who was converted and changed by the story of Romans. Paul's letter to the church at Rome is a letter that repeatedly changes the world by changing people. And only God 
can change the stories that we're living in, the story of rebellion and saying yes to everything in the world, to turning us and our hearts and our devotion to saying yes to the story of God. That's the work of the gospel. And that's the work that's described in this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. Let me say it a different way. And it's the bottom line that I want you to remember and hold all throughout this journey as we begin our study of Romans together, a study that's going to take us all the way to next summer. The bottom line for the whole book is that God delivers a person to deliver a message to deliver a people. God delivers a person to deliver a message to deliver a people. And that's true for each and every one of us. God wants to deliver us as people. And he does so by delivering a message to our hearts. But it doesn't just stay with us. He delivers to us the message, his story, so that we can deliver a message to other people that desperately need to hear the story of God and have that intersect with the story that they're living in their own lives. God delivers a person by delivering a message to deliver a people. So let's begin our journey today. A journey through what has been called the most important theological document written in the history of humanity. Paul's letter to the Romans. If you're able, would you stand to your feet and let me read the first verse of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. And as we get into just one verse today, I want to tell you three things that are going to be so important in the context for our journey together throughout the book of Romans. Let's start at the first verse, Romans 1, 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God's word to you today. You can be seated. Thank you. God delivers a person to deliver a message, to deliver a people. And in this one verse, we see all three. So if you're taking notes, a very simple outline today as we begin our study. And I want to encourage you, and today I'm going to give you several tools. We're going to hand you a reading guide when you leave today, and I'm going to send you an email this afternoon, okay? It'll be during the game, so you don't have to look at it right away. But I'm going to send it to you, okay? And it's going to give you a list of resources, a reading guide, a commentary, some study helps to help you individually as a family to talk about it around the dinner table in your group to continue to go further in your study of Romans. And I want to encourage you, okay? I want to encourage you to bring your Bible to church, okay? I'm not against technology, all right? I don't preach with an iPad because Jen knows I would, I'm not a technology person. I would mess it up somehow. Uh, so I always bring notes up here, but I just really believe, you know, you can disagree with me. But I just really believe there's something about holding God's word. And I just really believe there's something about writing notes in your Bible. And so I just want to encourage you to bring your Bible with you. This is not a legalistic thing. Those of you who know me, I'm not a legalistic person. Nobody's going to judge you if you don't bring a Bible, it's okay. But I just want to encourage you as your pastor to bring your Bible. And what a wonderful time to do this is we're starting a book of the Bible like Romans. If you've never studied a book of the Bible before, Bring your Bible with you and just start taking some notes in your margin. 
You can go back and read it during the week. I'm going to give you a reading guide to read ahead. You can get ahead. I'm going to give you every sermon and text that we're preaching for the rest of this year that you can get ahead and look at it. But start by bringing your Bible. Take some notes in your Bible. Begin to write the outline in your Bible. We've got notebooks for you um, that you can do that in as well. I'm going to have a study Bible here next week. If you've never owned a study Bible before and and cost is, is prohibitive for you, We're going to buy some. We're going to have them available for you next week to take a study Bible with you to begin going further uh, in your study of God's Word. So I just want to challenge you as we start off together to begin some new habits in studying God's Word, okay? And and, and believe me, the devil hates this. He hates for you to have an open Bible in front of you and to take notes and remember things. We often remember things we're supposed to forget, and we forget the things we're supposed to remember, So take notes and what God wants to share with you, not me, but what God wants to share with you through his word. Take notes, go back and meditate on it, read it during the week, okay? We're starting in the first verse here. Simple outline today if you're taking notes, okay? We're gonna talk about the person. We're gonna talk about the message of Romans. We're gonna talk about the people, the audience that it was written to. And by this, we're gonna talk about the context of Romans that sets up the entire book, okay? So if you have a piece of paper or you know, a marker, a crayon, some eyeliner, whatever you've got that you can, that you can take some notes in. You can take them on your hand, whatever you, you, you got that you can take notes. I just want to encourage you to write at least the outline in your Bible or write it somewhere. And then when you get home, grab your Bible and write it, write it there in the margin so you can just follow along here. Verse one, we're going to talk about the message, the person, and the people. So let's tar- start with the, the, the person. And specifically for Romans, of course, Paul introduces himself. The person that God got a hold of to deliver this was Paul. Now, a couple of things about Paul. Some of you know that Paul grew up a devout Jew. In fact, he describes himself in Philippians as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was picked at a young age by a rabbi to study. So probably at the age of 13, he began rabbinical studies was very bright. He was an expert in the law. He was an attorney in the law of God. In fact, he was zealous, so zealous that he persecuted people of the way. People had decided to follow Jesus, uh, the true hope of Israel, as Paul later describes Jesus. But before his conversion, he wanted to stamp out the people of the way. Some of you know this. To the point of arresting people and killing people, separating families, And so when we encounter Paul and the story of the church, remember, there's one historical book in the New Testament. Remember what it is? Acts, okay. There's four foundational books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's one historical book, Acts, and then there's 22 instructional books. We're in an instructional book, Romans. But the historical book of the, of the early church is Acts. So we get the story of the church. And in the first eight chapters are the story of the apostle Peter and the other disciples beginning to spread the message of Christianity. And then something happens in Acts chapter 9. This man named Paul arrives. But he goes by a different name. Do you remember what his name was? His name was Saul. And Saul is a Hebrew name. So he went by his Hebrew name. Paul is a Roman name. So when he's converted to Christ, he changes his name to Paul because he was an apostle to the Gentiles, and he even changed his name so it would make it easier for him to reach people who didn't know God and didn't grow up Jewish. But this would have been unthinkable for a Jew to change their name from their Hebrew name to a Roman name. But these were the links that Paul went to to share the gospel with other people. And Paul tells us two really important things if you're looking at verse 1 in your Bibles. He tells us two important things about himself. We're going to learn so much more about this man named Paul, 
who other than Jesus might have been the most influential person to ever walk the planet. We're going to learn a lot about him as we study one of his uh, letters here, Romans, probably his most well-known letter. Paul wrote a fourth of the New Testament, by the way. He wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. Uh, But word for word, uh, word count, uh, he wrote a fourth of the New Testament. I mean, talk about influence. But his life didn't begin that way. He, He grew up as a devout Jew, and he has this encounter with God in Acts chapter 9. Um, and, and you can go read it for yourself. I'm, finding, I'm, I'm feeling myself getting pulled into a rabbit hole, and I'm not going to do it. So you can go and read it for yourself, okay? But he's on the way to Damascus to stamp out the followers of Jesus. And if you go and read Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says that Paul was with every breath breathing vitriol and threats against the people who followed Jesus. There was murder on his lips. And he wanted to go arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem so that they could be convicted and many of them executed. And on his way to Damascus, the living Lord Jesus encounters Saul and calls out his name, Saul, Saul. Now this was more than just a vision that Saul had. This was Jesus appearing to Saul. And Jesus says, why do you persecute my church? And Saul, just like Augustine was converted in that moment of conviction, Saul is converted and he believes on the Lord Jesus and he remains in Damascus for three years in Arabia, studying the scriptures and learning more about Jesus. But when he introduces himself here, he tells us two important things if you're taking notes about himself. After his conversion, he wants to introduce himself to the church at Rome in two important ways. There's so many things he could have said, but he says two things. He says, first of all, I must look at verse one. He says, this is a letter from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Now, the Greek word here is doulos. And I understand that this word is a troubling word. It's a painful word to talk about slavery. It's a provocative word, bringing back all kinds of terrible images and memories. But you must also understand that the idea and the relationship and the concept of human slavery was prevalent in the first century. And Paul is in no way condoning this. In fact, several other times in his letters, he prohibits it and he says to people how wrong it is for another human to be in charge or rule or own another human. So let's just get that out there. But Paul takes the concept and the idea of this prevalent um, understanding of slavery in the first century and he transforms it into our relationship with God. And so everything that a first century owner and slave and people observing that would have understood about the concept of human slavery, Paul says no. And he says your devotion should only be to Christ. So he says Christ is the one that I'm in exclusive relationship with because this would have been what it meant to be in that relationship, to be in complete submission, singular devotion, total dependence, personal accountability. These are all the things that Paul says now I have with Christ. Now this would have been unthinkable. It's, it's hard for us to understand now, but for a Roman citizen at the top of the food chain, the Roman empire, for a Roman citizen like Paul, to describe himself as a slave, as a doulos. The Romans were slaves to no one. They were second to none. And in the very first words of his letter, he says, I'm a slave, I'm a doulos to Jesus. My devotion is to him alone. He is my master. I follow his words. I have complete, total allegiance 
to him and to no one else, which again for a Roman citizen would have been unthinkable because of Caesar. They worship Caesar as a god. And their allegiance was to Caesar. And so for his audience, which we'll get to in a moment, the Roman church for Paul to come right out of the gate and punch, a, you know, this is a hard punch right away to say, my relationship to God is a relationship of total devotion, of complete surrender and submission. And I am under no one's authority except for Christ alone. And that's enough. And in that one statement, he's making a huge statement. And here's the statement. Jesus is king. And there is no other king that I will bow my knee to. Jesus alone is on the throne of my life. And so now my complete devotion is to him. This would have been such a provocative statement for Roman citizens to listen to and to think about their relationship with God and to understand not the politics of Rome, but the politic of Jesus. And by the way, when we get to it next summer in Romans 16, Paul describes King Jesus in this way that he's the God of peace and he's busy putting Satan under our foot to crush his head. He makes a powerful statement about his allegiance to Christ. This man who was breathing threats and insults to the church in Acts chapter 9 has now come under the authority of the one that encountered him on the way. And now his life every single day is devoted to his master Jesus. He says a second thing. Look at the verse with me. Verse 1. He says, Paul, a doulos of Christ, a slave of Christ. In other words, King Jesus is my only king. And then he says, what else? He says, I'm an apostle chosen by God, sent out to share his good news. An apostle, and it connects with his first statement about King Jesus. An apostle is an ambassador who speaks for the king. So King Jesus is the one that has Paul's heart. And he says, my job now is to be sent out into different spaces and places with different people and to share the good news of Jesus, to be God's spokesperson, to be a sent out person. If you're taking notes, the word apostle, again, means an ambassador to the king or the one who is sent out, the one who is called out. And again, this calling, this sending happened for Saul, who became Paul, took on his Roman uh, name, on the road to Damascus. Jesus not only captures his heart with the message of the gospel, but just like our bottom line says, he gives him a message to share with other people. And when God called you, everyone watch this. When God called you, and God's calling every one of you, when God called you for salvation through Christ, he also had someone else in mind. He had your oikos, your, your household of faith, as it's known in the New Testament. The word oikos means household, which is more than just your bloodline. It's your circle of influence. When God called you, he had other people in your circle in mind. He wanted to share his story through your story. He wanted to get a hold of your heart so he could get a hold of other people's hearts. He wanted to deliver a message to you so that you could deliver a message to other people because God always delivers a person to deliver a message to deliver a people. And that's exactly what's happening with the Apostle Paul. He spent three years in Damascus in Arabia. He comes back to Jerusalem, back where he was at the top of religiosity as a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? All of his pedigree. And he comes back and now he's a Christian. He's a follower of Jesus. 
And so he begins to be persecuted by the same people that were persecuting the followers of the way that included him. Now he's the persecuted and his life is threatened. Paul's life would be threatened many times. When he goes back to Jerusalem, people want to kill him. And so it's the Christians, don't miss this, it's the Christians that save Paul in Jerusalem. And they smuggle him out of the city under the cover of darkness and they take him to a port city called Caesarea. He would return there again years later to go to Rome. This time they send him back to Tarsus, his hometown. And he spends a decade in Tarsus in obscurity. We don't know what happened there other than he must have begun to revisit every single text that he learned as a Pharisee and now he began to learn them in light of Jesus. The true story, which every text in our Bible points to Jesus. And now Paul's eyes, as the scales were dropped from his eyes, he must have read familiar texts that he had memorized in his rabbinical studies and now he sees them in a whole new light because he sees them through the story of Jesus. And for 10 years, he spends time in Tarsus, learning the scriptures, understanding his, the message of the gospel, understanding his calling as an apostle that he received. And then a man named Barnabas finds him there. And we don't know how they met, but they end up in a city called Antioch. And just by way of church history, the center of gravity of Christendom have moved from Jerusalem to Antioch, north to Antioch. Why? Because Antioch was a sending church. Antioch saw the world much bigger than just themselves. Jerusalem struggled with this. They struggled because they saw themselves as the end. This is why we had the council in Acts 15 of trying to decide, do Gentiles have to obey all the Jewish laws? And that happened in Jerusalem. But we see the center of gravity of Christendom begin to move from this place that saw itself as the end, Jerusalem, to a place called Antioch that was a sending church. And the church sends Paul and Barnabas out on the first missionary journeys. There were three of them that they completed. And when you go and look in your study Bible, and if you need one, again, I'm going to give you one next week. And you're going to see in the three missionary journeys that Antioch sent uh, Paul and Barnabas and Silas and eventually Timothy and uh, Priscilla and Aquila and so many others that came along Paul's team. The circle gets bigger and bigger and bigger as they share the gospel with the Gentile world. This sent out one, this apostle, as Paul describes himself, was one that never saw a circle that shouldn't be bigger. Was always asking Who needs to hear the message of Jesus? Who else can I tell about Jesus? Where else can I go to share Jesus? And Paul desperately, you need to know this, in the context of Romans, Paul desperately wanted to get to Rome, which in the first century was one of the furthest civilized places in the West. And it was seen literally as the ends of the earth. So if we go back to Pentecost in Acts uh, chapter 1 and 2 and read that story when Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, the helper, the teacher who will come and give you dynamite power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It literally meant for Jews in Judea, Rome. Paul wanted to get to Rome, but I want you to hear this. I'm going to repeat it again. Paul wanted to get to Rome so he could get to Spain. And I love this because so many people saw Rome as the end game because it was the most influential city in the first century. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in our study. But Paul wanted to get to Rome so he could get somewhere else. Why? Because he saw the world in its totality 
He saw the need for the gospel for all people. He understood that every tribe, nation, and tongue would call on the name of Jesus, that every person, every man, woman, and child needed to hear the story, the true story of the gospel. And this was his calling as an apostle, as a sent out one. To be an apostle in the first century, you needed to have a living encounter with the living Jesus, and Paul does. After Jesus ascends, he appears to him in a visible form to have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. But for those of us now that read about Jesus and encounter Jesus through the Spirit, we are sent out ones as well, sent into our oikos, into our circles of influence, into our world to tell the story of Jesus. And I love this, okay, that Paul's life, I'm going to skip ahead here, Paul's life ends in Rome. He's executed in Rome. Peter's life ends where? In Rome, The two pillars of the New Testament church, the two pillar apostles in the New Testament first century church, Peter and Paul, the apostle to the Jews, the apostle to the Gentiles, the ones who were sent out to both groups, both of their lives end in Rome, the ends of the earth. They fulfilled Jesus's calling, the great commission to go and tell all the world. And moreover, they had their sights set on things even further. These two champions, of the gospel die within a year of each other under the hand of Nero, sharing the good news of Jesus as sent out people. And what message were they sharing? Well, we're gonna talk about this all throughout our study and specifically next week. So don't miss next week. Verses two through 17 talk about God's gospel, the good news. So we'll spend our whole uh, time next week describing what that is. But just for today, the message Remember, God calls a person to give a message, you know, to save and to help other people. He delivers a person to deliver a message to deliver a people. The message was the good news. And it's not just the good news. How does Paul describe it in verse 1? Look at it with me. His good news. In other words, Paul understood that I have nothing good to share with other people. This isn't about me sharing personal stories or anecdotes or three steps to a better me or any of that stuff. This is about sharing the story of Jesus and it never belonged to Paul and it doesn't belong to us. We're conduits of the story of God. And Paul wants to make it clear in verse one before he says anything else, I'm here to share the story. I'm a sent out one. I'm an apostle of Jesus to share his story. And that's our story as well, guys. Paul says uh, to, the, to the church at Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, you know, we have this imperishable gift that is contained in perishable uh, jars of clay. What does he mean? He means that our bodies, our containers, broken as they are, carry this indispensable, invaluable, precious gift of the gospel. And by the way, the more broken that we are, the more the light of Jesus, what's inside of us, shines through that it's through our brokenness, it's through our pain, it's through our struggles that the gospel shines through because it's not about us. It's about the story of Jesus. And what Paul paints, and we're gonna get into this, is a very bleak picture of the story of the world. We'll get to chapter three where Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means all and that's all all means. Every person So when you hear someone say, you know, people are basically good, Paul says, no, they're not. No, people are evil. People are born with a condition and a choice to rebel against God, just like our friend Augustine. 
And you say, well, how can that be? Because back in the garden, our ancestors made a choice to rebel against God. And you say, well, that's not fair. Well, fairness ended in the garden that day. I tell my kids all the time, the fair is where you get cotton candy. That's it. There's nothing. Fairness ended in the garden that day. But here's the thing. Not only are we born with a condition of rebellion against God, but we choose to participate actively in the rebellion against God. And so Paul says, no, people are not born good. We're born with a condition and with a volition to rebel against God. And we'll talk about that. And why is this important? Because you can't know how good the good news is until you know how bad the bad news is. You can't know how great the gospel of Jesus is until you know how bad the story of the world is, your story without God. So Paul wants us to understand the hopelessness, the bleakness, the darkness of the story of the world that we carry in order for us to understand the light and the glory of the gospel, the good news. You can't have, guys, you can't have good news unless you have bad news. And Paul wants us to understand this, that this is the only story that he has to share and moreover, that we have to share. It's his gospel. It's always about Jesus and his story and telling other people the true story. And then thirdly, the people. We talked about the person, Paul. We'll get to know him more. But for today, he wants us to know two things, that he's a doulos of Jesus Christ and that he's an apostle sent out to share his good news. And that's the message that he has to give. Nothing else. He says later on, it's not my clever speech. It's not my performance. It's not my power. It's about Jesus. It's about his story that I want to share. But thirdly, for Romans, the people. Who are the people specifically for Paul that God calls him to to share this message with? Well, of course, it's the Romans. But who in Rome? It's the church at Rome. And the church at Rome, just so you know in context, it's a really cool story because at Pentecost, again, the historical book of the New Testament, Acts, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, and 2 specifically, we see the Holy Spirit descend and come upon the church, those who follow Jesus. And several things happen there, but among them, Peter stands up, one of the apostles, and he begins to preach the first sermon in the New Testament church. And he quotes from two Psalms in the book of Joel. You can go read it for yourself in Acts chapter 2. And after he finishes preaching, 3,000 people are converted to Jesus and believe and choose to follow him. The church explodes. And among those 3,000 people are pilgrims that had gathered in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. This was a Jewish festival, 50 days after Passover. People from all over the known world would come into Jerusalem and it would swell to over a million people. So don't miss this. In this city of influence, Jerusalem, during this influential time, the Holy Spirit descends. Peter begins to preach. The apostles begin to tell the true story of the gospel. And people from all over the known world are converted to Jesus. And guess what happens? They go back home. So God delivers a person to deliver a message to deliver a people. So God delivers the people at Pentecost to deliver the message of the gospel to do what? To just sit on it and wait to go to heaven? No, to go back to their hometowns to deliver other people. So the way that the church at Rome was born, by the way, when Paul wrote this, he had never been to Rome. The way that the church at Rome was born is Pentecost pilgrims who heard about Jesus through the preaching of Peter who went back to Rome and told other people the story of Jesus. And Christianity began to explode in Rome, even under intense persecution. 
We'll talk about this in the context, but in 49 AD, Claudius, a man named Claudius, who was one of the Caesars, kicked out all the Jews from Rome, including a, a man and a woman who were married named Priscilla and Aquila. And they make their way to Corinth and they meet a man named Paul. And they, they, they get on his mission team and they begin to minister in Corinth and Ephesus and all around Asia Minor. And they begin to tell him about Rome and the church that they were a part of in Rome that was persecuted and the troubles that the church in Rome was having. Because what happened is when the Jews were kicked out of Rome, the Gentiles took leadership in the church. And then when the Jews were able to return, guess what? Not that we ever have any kind of conflict in churches, but this church did. They had a lot of conflict because they had different politics, they had different cultures, they had different family systems, they had different understandings of the world, they had different allegiances, different languages, all kinds of different cultural things where they collided. And Paul wanted to write the book of Romans to say it's the gospel and the gospel alone that brings people together. It's not about tolerance, it's about love. You can tolerate someone and not love them. You can't love someone and not be able to tolerate them. Love is the gift that God gives to us. It's love that changes things. And what is love? God is love. The gospel is the ultimate expression of love. And Paul wants to build not just the foundation, but the walls and the roof all on the gospel. And so in the context of the church at Rome being started by two different groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles, Paul wants to speak into that. And he wants them to understand a greater vision than just Rome itself. Again, Rome was the most, bar none, was the most influential city in the first century. For sure. Caesar himself lived there. They worshipped Caesar among so many other gods. It was the seat of power for all of the known world. But Paul wants the church at Rome to understand that Rome is not, in a word, Rome. It's not the end game that God always has something more for you. So whatever it is in your mind where you're going, if I could just get that job, if I could just get that amount of money in my bank account, if I could just get into that relationship, if I could just move to that city, if I could just, God is always about you expanding his story to other people. There is no finish line on this side of eternity. And Paul wants the Romans to know that. Yeah, you live in a really influential city, but what about Spain? Have you ever thought about that? And he wants to give them a new vision. This is how I wrote it in my notes. We were meant to be epic lines in God's continuing story of redemption, not run-on sentences in our own stories of rebellion. Augustine could have just been a run-on sentence in Milan, continuing to trip over himself and trying to get freedom for himself and continuing to constrain himself more and more in the chains of sin and brokenness. But it's only when we encounter the epic story of Jesus and the story that God invites us into through the gospel that we understand what it really means to be alive. To be alive in Christ and to give life to other people. And that as long as God wakes us up in the morning and I'm looking around the room right now and he did for you, that he has something else for you. That there's someone else for you to speak to, to love, to share the message of the gospel with. To put it this way, Paul wants Rome to be a new Antioch. I brought a map for you. I'll keep, I'll keep showing this throughout the series to understand the context. So if you go over to Rome, right in Italy, he wanted to go to Hispania. He wanted to go to Spain. He wanted to take the gospel to another part of Europe. He wanted Rome to see themselves as a new Antioch, a new sending church to use all of your influence, your money, your platform, your political power to use all that and leverage it, not for your story, but for the gospel. 
Uh, you guys know this. Charlotte is the, the, the second leading commerce or financial institution, you know, city in, in, in the country. It, 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 other than New York, more money flows through here than any other U.S. city. And because the dollar is what drives the world economy, Charlotte is a very influential city. But who cares unless it's used for us as Christians in Charlotte to leverage the gospel? To take everything and put it on the table to go all in on Jesus. And to say we want to leverage any influence, money, whatever God has given to us to steward, we want to use it to further the story of the gospel, to take the circle wider and wider and wider for Jesus. Paul never made it to Spain, but you know what? Someone else did. And the reason why they did was because Paul gave Rome a new vision that it wasn't just about them, that it didn't stop with them, that it would go to other people. I wonder who God's calling you to. I wonder where you need to start to share your influence and what God's given to you to leverage not your own story, but the story of the gospel, to stop living as a run-on sentence in your story of rebellion and to join God in the epic story of Jesus as a line in the story, but not the main character. Guys, the curtain will fall on your story for every single one of us. Jen and I were at a funeral yesterday celebrating someone's life. The curtain will fall on every single one of our stories, but it'll never fall on the story of Jesus. Zinzendorf, who was one of the great reformers in the 16th century, said it this way, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Let's close here. When Augustine was living in the, in, in the city of Milan, where we started, and he's living as a party boy, Right? No doubt, he's living in his own rebellion, in his own story. And he had many, many girlfriends. And years later, he came back to Milan as the bishop of Hippo. You heard me right, Hippo, which is Algeria. He comes back to Milan and he's walking the same streets that he walked through as a teenager and in his early 20s in rebellion in his own story. And now he's back years later as a priest and eventually a bishop, and he's walking down the familiar streets of Milan, and when he's walking down one of those streets, he hears a, a familiar voice calling out to him by name, Augustine, Augustine, and he keeps walking, ignoring her voice. She chases after him down the street, Augustine, Augustine, it is I, and finally he can't ignore her anymore. Augustine in his eyes, she says, as she gets close. And he finally turns to her and he says, I know, but it's no longer I. The gospel had changed Augustine's story. Just like the gospel changes our story. And, and maybe as we walk through the book of Romans together over the next several months, as you study it, as you read it, as you talk about it with your family, your friends, your group, as you meditate on it, maybe you'll hear the voice of the Spirit saying to you in your own story, pick up and read. Pick up and read. Pick up and read. God delivers a person. This is what he's always doing. He delivers a person just like you and me to deliver a message 
to deliver other people. That is the story of Romans. And I can't wait to share it with you. To Christ alone be the glory today.